Well, good morning. Well, maybe you're looking for a miracle this morning. Well, this is a great place for it. You know why? Well, my wife, you know, is the children's director here at uh, Hope. And a couple weeks ago, she came home and she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the staff NCA bracket challenge. <laughs> I looked at her like, who are you? <laughs> what have you done with my wife? You don't know anything about basketball. She hasn't watched a single college game all year. I mean, she watched maybe one Iowa game because one of our sons graduated from Iowa, but that was it. Oh, that was crazy. Well, as of yesterday before the Duke game, she was first in the standings. <laughs> so that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Maybe next time you can see her, you can ask her for her secret. You know, did she do some studying last minute or did she just pray over it or, or what? Uh, but there is rumor that maybe with the Duke winning last night, maybe she got bumped out of first. I don't, I don't know. But on a serious note, if you're looking for miracles, you're still in a great place because Jesus promises to call, to answer those who call upon, uh, who, those who call upon his name. Well, it's great to be with you as we wrap up the series on the parables. We hope this has been encouraging. Uh, also, some challenges. I know I've been challenged in this. Uh, we end with one of the last parables that Jesus told while he was on earth. It's actually right before the sheep and the goat, which Pastor Matt preached two weeks ago in Matthew 24 and 25, when the disciples, the context there, they're asking him for a sign of his coming. When is he, you know, what can we look for to know that you're coming in the end of the age? He answers them on the Mount of Olives, and so it's called the Olivet Discourse. But if you read Matthew 24 and 25, it is a very sobering passage, actually. It's pretty intense. Jesus tells them that it's not going to be easy if you are trying to pursue Christ and follow Christ during those last days before his coming. So what he tells them instructs them and encourages them, but it also warns them. He warns them that many will be deceived during those days. He said, don't be deceived. He says, be watchful, be looking, because it'll be like the time of Noah when, when people were just going about their lives unsuspecting of the flood that was about to come. He said, don't be like that. Be ready. He tells the parable of the, the ten virgins five who were ready with oil for their lambs and five who weren't. He tells them during this time, the wickedness, because of the wickedness growing, the love of many will decrease. So he tells the parable of the sheep and the goat, which Pastor Matt preached a couple weeks ago, about, about loving the least of these. Make sure your heart continues to love and lastly, he says that during that time, many will turn away from the faith. So he tells them a parable about two people who were living lives of faith and one that wasn't. So the question from our parable today is this, are you living a faith-filled life? Oftentimes when we talk about faith, we use it as a noun. I put my faith in Christ, but you know, most often it occurs in the Bible as a verb, pisteo. It's an action, it's believing, it's ongoing. Second Corinthians 5 7, Paul writes, We live by faith, 
and not by sight. We live each day, each moment by faith in Jesus. We are continually growing in entrusting every area of our life to him. We continue growing in trusting Jesus with every area of our life. Again, Paul writes in Romans 1.17, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first the moment it happens in your life to last, the last breath you take. Goes on to say the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live a faith-filled life. So Jesus tells a parable where two servants are doing just that. They are living by faith. And because of that, they're ready for their master's return. So what does a faith-filled life look like? If you can turn together to to Matthew 25, verses 14 uh, to 30. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted with me the five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. So here it is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money in, in bank on a deposit with the banker so that I would have returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For everyone who has will be given more and he who will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does a faith-filled life look like? Five truths. Number one, a faith-filled life lives as a steward. Verse 14 says that this man, and we know Jesus said again, so he's telling a parable about the same thing that he was talking about. That this is about his kingdom coming and particularly him leaving. And so he is the, the master who leaves 
This master leaves and he calls his servants to entrust his property to them. And as he was taking a long journey, he would make arrangements for someone to pick up his mail, take care of his pets, even more important things like entrusting his, his estate to them. And they were expected to do his job while he was gone. There was no doubt in their minds that these servants, that the property that they had was not their own, that they were stewards. They were not the owners. Their job was to manage or steward what they were giving. And so that's what living by faith does. It enables and empowers us to know that everything we have has been given to us by God, but it belongs to God. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. In other words, we don't own anything, but we are entrusted with what we have. And the question is, are we living by faith with what we've been entrusted? Let's say this week I was driving to work on Tuesday morning and happened to hit a deer. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> kind of bummer. <laughs> Let's say you generously offer me your car for me to use in the time being. You don't need to. We have a relative who already did that. So thank you in advance. But how am I going to treat that car? I mean, I mean, you generously and graciously loaned it to me. I'm, I'm going to take care of it, right? Hopefully not hit another deer. I'm going to return it to you with the gas full and hopefully cleaner than it was because out of thankfulness, I want to treat your stuff well. That's what happens when we live by faith. We know that God has entrusted us and we want to, to honor him with it. It's been given to us to serve him and to honor him. So unfortunately this week God lost a deer and a car. Um, but I think he's still okay. But is your faith impacting how you see your stuff? Number two, a faith-filled life lives to use whatever talents God has uniquely entrusted to you. In verse 15, the master came and he gave five talents to one, two to another, and one to the third. A talent here is, is not like we use talent, but it's, it's, a, it's a unit of money. Most believe it was a, a sum of like 20 years of wages. So in, in our current day, that would be around a million dollars. So even the one who had been given one talent was entrusted with a tremendous value. And the application to our lives is that it's not just money. Yes, it includes money, but it's not just money. It's who you are, your personality, your humor, your skills, your talents, your gifts, your stuff your opportunities, your job, whatever God has given so that you can serve him. You know, some of you have been given a great personality. I mean, like you're just a people magnet. You know what? You can use that for Jesus. Some of you have been given great skill in whatever trade you're in, and because of that, you're becoming a leader, and people, one that, someone that people look up to, and, and you can exercise godly leadership over those people and point them to Christ in your work. 
Some of you are great educators, whether it's young, young little lives or, or, or college age, but man, you have the opportunity to cultivate hearts and point people to Jesus. Some of you have a just great, you're just great at making money. I mean, you've got the Midas touch. I mean, you touch it, it turns to gold. And you have the opportunity to support God's missions above and beyond tithing. And the Bible says that every believer has been given at least one spirit-empowered gift to serve the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You've been given a flavor of God's grace to be a steward of, to administer in a gift. Everyone here has the capacity to serve Christ in some way. Some people have more gifts. You know, some people just uh, have the ability, you know, they, it's like those people who spin plates, you know, they can spin like four plates at a time and not fall. And some people can just have lots of different gifts and serve God in many ways and they can manage that. And some of you can just do it in one. I mean, you've been given this one gift and that's how you can serve Christ and that's okay as long as you're faithful in using that gift. Because you notice an important little phrase, each according to his ability. Christ knows what you can handle. And he's given you what he wants you to have. 1 Corinthians 12 also adds that. To each one he has been gifted just as he determines. In other words, not any more, not any less of what God wants you to use to serve him. You know, sometimes we have a little gift envy or talent envy. We're like, God, why can't I have been the person that had five talents? Or why can't I have the gift of, you know, someone up here, like, just, you know, I want to sing, I want to play guitar. You know, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, I was gonna be preparing to be a youth pastor in college, and, and I thought, well, I'm not always going to have someone who, who can lead worship, so I, I better do that and, you know, practice real hard. And so they had a, a music appreciation class. So I took guitar lessons, and so I, I practiced, because I hate to fail, so I practiced hard and, and, and played guitar for a couple years in youth ministry until one night at youth night, one of the high school girls, bless her heart, <clears throat> if you're watching, Megan, uh, uh, she said something about my guitar playing, and it hurt real bad. You know, it hurt. but it was true. I shouldn't have been playing guitar. I am not musically gifted. There's other ways that I can serve Christ better than trying to do that. That's what a faith-filled life does. How can I best serve him? You know, there's a story about this young boy named Antonio. He loved music. But his voice was high and squeaky, and so he didn't make the area boys choir when he took violin lessons his neighbors persuaded his parents to make him stop <laughs> because it was so agonizing yet he still loved music the only thing he was really good at was whittling I mean he loved to whittle and his friends would make fun of him it was that a day in a culture where you started an apprenticeship pretty early in life and so he started an apprenticeship to work for a violin maker and his knack of whittling grew into the skill of carving and his hobby became his craft. And so he patiently and faithfully over his lifetime made 1,500 violins. Maybe you've heard them. Antonio Stradivarius. You can maybe buy one of his violins for a million dollars today. But he found the one way that he could serve. 
I read that he did give part of his estate to support the ministry in his, in his community. That's what we're supposed to do spiritually. How can I best serve Christ? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. But for him and died for them, to live for him, using the talents he has given us for him. A faithful life, number three, lives keeping Jesus in the center. Verse 16 tells us that the, the, the guy who had received five and two, it says at once, at once. I mean, he didn't wait. He didn't waste any time. At once he went and started working and investing until the moment his master came back asking, what would the master do in this case? What decisions would he make? How can I best honor him and serve him and please him in this? And in the end, he doubled his master's portfolio. The guy with two talents did the same. You see, they thought of their master's generosity and grace and they anticipated his return. That's what they thought about. He was at the center of their thoughts, their passions, their priorities, their commitments, their energy. He was at the center. Whereas the third servant, what did he do? He went and, and, and he dug a hole and put the money in there. And I mentioned a number of weeks ago when we did the, the parable of the treasures that that was somewhat common. I mean, they didn't have ordinary banks and so sometimes people would do that. Not a great investment. But it's also a great picture of what you do when you don't want to think about something. Right? Out of mind. I mean, out of sight. Out of mind. From the moment his master gave him that money and left, he didn't do a single thing with it. Basically, he was pushing the master out of his life. He didn't care about his master's investment. He went around his own business, his own life. The master was certainly not at the center. He is called wicked and lazy. And that's the, that's the epitome of wickedness removing God from the situation, from the act, removing godliness, his righteousness, his goodness. And so does laziness. Faith puts God in the center. Sin tries to take God out of the center. Maybe as you're hearing this, you're going through a pretty challenging time in your life pretty difficult time and you're thinking man I, I don't even know you know if I had time or energy to, to, to teach Sunday school class or to be a youth leader or, or to make anything with a regular commitment maybe maybe you're spending a lot of time at the hospital with treatments and you know what God knows that your master knows he knows the question is are you, are you keeping him at the center so maybe in that waiting room when you're there maybe there's someone next to you who just desperately needs a little bit of hope they need to see that someone who's going through the same thing they're going through still has faith and can point someone to Jesus to say that Jesus loves you. I know you're going through a crappy time, but Jesus loves you. Maybe that's how you can serve him. Don't get me wrong, the church always needs dedicated, committed, those who are serving in ministries like that, but the question is, in whatever God has put you in, whatever place, 
Are you faithfully serving him? You know, maybe you're a great baker. Maybe you can make a plate of warm chocolate chip cookies to bless someone who's going through a difficult time or who totaled their car this week. Or <laughs> I'm just, just saying, just, just ideas. <laughs> you know, the one thing we've all been given and that's the gospel. And some commentators believe that's what the talents are here. It's the gospel. No matter what, if you've heard the truth about Jesus, you've been entrusted with that. And that is something that you can offer someone else, that you can serve the pastor by sharing that with someone else who is lost and broken. Something that can change their destiny forever. Number four, a faithful life lives excited about Jesus' return. Are you the kind of person who, when the teacher says, we're having a pop quiz, you were pretty excited? Because you did your homework, and you had studied, and you're excited to show the teacher what you've learned? Or were you maybe the other person like, oh, bummer, because you didn't take it very seriously? Or, or, or maybe when your boss says, you know what, I'm gone for the rest of the day. You're like, yes. Or the boss says, you know what, I'll be, I'll be back at the end of the day to see what you've done. Do you also say, yes, because you're excited to show what you've done, what you've accomplished? Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of the servant returned to settle accounts with them. And the one who received five that little word there, see, is behold. I mean, this, this person is excited to show the master what had happened in his absence. He was bubbling with enthusiasm. He couldn't wait to present the master what he, what he did because he wanted to please the master. See, his life had been so touched by the master's goodness and grace that he wanted his life to reflect it. And the same thing with the two talent. But the one talent guy was not so excited about the master's return. I knew you were a hard man, he said. I always knew. You see, he had such a poor and inaccurate view of his master. Even though he had been entrusted with a treasure, he had made up his mind even before he received the talent. He looked at someone as him as someone who was hard and harsh, instead of loving and gracious. You know, and that's what sin always does. It distorts our view of God. The Bible says we are darkened in our understanding until the light, we allow the light of the gospel to shine into our hearts so that we know the truth of who Jesus is. A.W. Tozer was right when he says that the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. See, if God is a tyrant, we'll filter everything through that. But if you've come to experience the grace of Jesus Christ, everything is filtered through that. As a result, the only thing this man has on day, that day is excuses. He has nothing to show of the grace he too had received. Let me be clear. These two servants didn't serve their master because they were trying to earn his favor. They had already received it. It was out of full hearts that had already received and been touched by it. They just, they wanted to love him back. They wanted to please him with their lives. 
Lastly, a faith-filled life lives with, with hope of the joy that is coming. Look at these precious words the master says to the first two. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. He shares with them a, a joyful affirmation. Great job. I know it probably wasn't always easy. It was tough times maybe. But because of your faith, you continue to persevere and serve me and represent me. Well done. You know, Francis, uh, Francis Chan say the greatest fear that we should have should not be in failure, especially in, in failure in serving Christ, but in succeeding in something that doesn't matter. To spend your whole life in succeeding in something that in the end has no eternal value. Secondly, he shares with them a, a joyful promotion. Since you've, you've been faithful what I entrusted to you, I'm going to give you more things to be in charge of. They were given a promotion. You know, faith understands that our time on earth is really a time of testing. For God to see what is he gonna want to entrust to you in his kingdom for eternity depending on how faithful you are here. And lastly, he shares with them a, a joyful celebration. Come and share your master's happiness. What an amazing celebration. You know, in the book of Revelation and Jesus' return, it pictures as, a, as an amazing wedding banquet, just as starters of sharing the master's happiness. You know, living in faith is countercultural. It can be hard. It can be difficult. But in the end, it will always be worth it. There will be no greater joy than that moment. Hebrews 11 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see right now. But keep living that faith-filled life. On the other hand, this man who wanted to live his life really without any thought of his master, he gets that now for all eternity. He gets what he wants, a place devoid of his master, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the, in, in the car, which I no longer have. Let's forget about that. Uh, but, but I turned the radio on, and the first song that popped in was ACDC's Hell's, uh, no, it's Highway to, Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell. You know, here's a band who has made a large living celebrating hell. But you know what? Hell is not going to be a celebration. There's, no gonna, there's not going to be a group of friends waiting there to party. There's going to be no joy. I mean, on this earth, they live life without God, and they still experience his goodness all around, living in America and the money and the wealth. But in hell, not only do you not have God, but there is no goodness. There's nothing of God, an absence of joy and peace and happiness. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Do you want to live a faith-filled life? Maybe this morning you came in here and you're pretty empty. Maybe you feel pretty broken. Maybe you feel pretty worthless to God and you're like, I don't even know if God could ever accept me. And that's the beauty and the glory of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is that he takes people who are worthy of his wrath, which means every one of us, and makes us objects of his love instead and sends his son to save us. And not only that, but then to begin to do amazing work in us so that we become a work of art, so that we become a masterpiece of his for his pleasure and for his purpose. Read Ephesians 2 this week. Just read that. Keep reading it. Because that's the whole story of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Beginning with objects of wrath and we become objects of his creation. Prepared for good works to serve him. So how does that happen? It begins when you put your faith in Christ. You begin to believe. Believe in who Jesus was and, and what he did for you and who he was as the son of God that he died for your sins so that you don't have to be bound by them for all eternity. He come to experience your wrath so you don't have to. He rose from the grave so that you can experience new life in him, that God will begin a transformation process in you. It involves growing in faith, beginning to read your Bible, because the Bible says, that the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so as we begin to read the Bible, we begin to grow in that faith, especially as we do it with others, actively listening to teachings, being in a life group where we can gather together and say, what does that mean? What do you think that means? What does that mean for a life of faith for me? And you wrestle with that together so that your faith doesn't wane. It begins by walking in faith as you're growing and understanding more and more of God's grace. You, you realize, I want to give back. I want to serve him. And so how can I serve? And you begin to discover how God has, has given you talents and gifts. You step out in faith and you try things and you see if it works. You try to play guitar until someone says something, hopefully graciously, and you realize that's not it. But maybe there's another way that you can serve and you try that, and you keep trying it, just like Antonio, until you find what God has given you. Looking for every moment, every opportunity, even in the midst of every challenge. How can I represent Christ? How can I serve Christ? How can I honor Christ? How can I point people to Christ in the midst of this? And this is the glory of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, uh, for your stories, for your teachings, and even though sometimes they're tough and sometimes challenging, we know that it comes from a heart of love that you want to prepare us for that day where you can say to us, come and share your master's happiness. And so, Lord, I pray for myself and for all of us, the Lord, that we would live a faith-filled life. ready and excited for your return. 
Lord, there's so many things in our culture in our day that seek to beat us down and discourage us and challenge us away from that faith. But Lord, keep us strong. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here who hasn't put their faith in you that today would be that day. And Lord, may we all strive with the abundant goodness and grace you've given us to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.